So welcome back, everyone, to The Art of Growth. I'm Jim Zartman. And I'm Joel Hubbard. And we are in the body triad with the type eight. And uh, I'm really super grateful to these four that uh, were on our panel. What an excellent uh, group. And uh, body types, uh, let me say a little bit about them. They tend to think in terms of action, uh, much more than sort of the rational thinking head types or the heart types that tend to think more from the emotional center. Now, again, we all have all three centers and we're functioning from all three, but there's a preference. There's a, a starting point. And for the body types, thinking about action, thinking about you know, what's the right thing to do versus the wrong thing to do. The attention to also physical motion or lack of motion Mm -hmm. depends upon, again, uh, where you land in terms of the body types. But that tends to be the focus of attention. Even when they're not moving, there's an attention to not moving. It's, I should be moving. I should be doing. Have I done enough? Have I done the right thing? And so body types, uh, that's pretty much what's on their minds most of the time. What would you... What would you say yeah. about that, Jim, since you're a— I am in this thing, and um, <laughs> this is I am what I do. Mm. For for eights, there's this running underlying thing of belief, like I am what I do. I'm what I've done right I am what, or I've done wrong. I am what I accomplish, but I am the sum of my actions. Mm. That is where the attention goes. That is where the belief system forms— that is where our identity in being strong lives, mm. is living in this space. And that's why I appreciate this panel so much because they were willing to lean into some of the vulnerability, which is where eights really have to grow and it's really hard. I was recently just coaching an eight and I was talking about this need for emotions and vulnerability and, and the immediate reaction was, uh, why? It's like the <laughs> facial expression just pulled back like, oh, why? Why would I want to do that? Because there is this uncomfortability in that space, but there is health in leaning into that, especially in relationships. And that is hard because Mm. relationships are this incredibly vulnerable thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't see it if you're living, if you, maybe if you're living with an eight, you might see it, glimpses of it. But if you're not living with an eight, but you observe it from the outside, it doesn't appear that way. It does not appear that there's any sort of vulnerability around the area of relationships. Instead, it seems like there's a a sort of resistance, a, a wall, a control, which, by the way, there's another key word for body types is that there's an issue of control, mm. um, needing to control the environment, needing to control the self, or wanting to be controlled or have direction given to them, uh, depending upon which one you are in the body triad. But that does not come through for the eight. The need or the vulnerability or the sense of vulnerability around relationships is not visible to most of us who observe the eight. So as we've been saying through this season, we're not doing coaching tips through the episode with the panel that is there, but we will be providing some coaching tips for the type eight or for those of you who are in relationship with a type eight or those of you who have to spend time around eights, which is probably most of you at some point in time. (laughs) So we will be going through that at the end. But for right now, we wanted you to just enjoy and experience the type eights that are here. We recently did a uh, an event where we were 
we had each of the nine types up there explaining what it was like to be them. And I was representing the eight. And so I stood up and the first thing out of my mouth is like, I don't want you to just hear me. I want you to feel me. And I saw someone in the room. Like, the room three went take. silent. The re- <laughs> and, two, and two rows back, I saw this woman kind of like lean back oh, in yeah, the chair. Yeah. But that that is the experience sometimes. So yeah. you're, it's like you're in a safe place to, to hear from um, these eights. And we did have both uh, some eights that were nine wings and seven wings, you had different types of, of energy um, with this group of eights. And so regardless where you are, you can you can observe them. But like we said, we're not doing the coaching tips. We'll do that at the end. But we want to create a space on these episodes, on these panels where people can be themselves, they can be honest, they can be vulnerable. So um, before we get into that real quick, I wanted to let you know you can get to all of our work on theartofgrowth.org. That is our website, our hub you can get in contact with us. You can email us any questions you have. We'll probably do an episode relatively soon where we just answer questions that people have about relationships that they've been writing in uh, throughout the course of this season. You can also get to us for coaching there and through our Facebook page, Instagram, all of that is, is that is our hub. So theartofgrowth.org, please keep in contact with us and uh, we will jump in now with our panel of eights. Welcome to the eight panel. I'm here with Kim, Andy, Angel, and Maurizio. And uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about you. Uh, so tell us about yourselves. My name's Kim. I've been married for eight years. I have a five-year-old son. I'm a teacher. I teach fifth and sixth grade special education, mostly along the lines of reading and writing. Love the outdoors. So. All right. I'm Andy. I'm from New York City. Lived there for 10 years. I've got um, my wife and three children, 12, 4, and 2. Uh, I work for Meetup, writing software, uh, and I've been doing stuff in the, like, internet startup space for the last uh, 15 or 20 years. I'm Angel. I'm from England. I've been in America for about 20 years. And I'm a project manager in the finance division, banking, software industry. I am recently divorced with with two kids, one girl, one boy, 12 and 7, and uh, loving life. Found out I was an 8 about... Two years ago, and it has really changed the way I look at life and see myself. It's been great. I'm Mauricio. I'm originally from Brazil. Got to the United States in 2012 to pursue my PhD, and then I started teaching business strategy at UMass Law for about three years now. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And again, welcome to all of you. I'm going to give a description of the type eight. Um, In the literature, type eights are challengers or protectors, uh, which means that their attention tends to go to whatever makes them strong in a world that crushes the weak. And with great energy, they protect those they love, but also can challenge them. Respect and trust are earned, not given. And we could go on and on with different descriptors for eights, but I'd like to start there. And so to get the conversation going, a few of you are already laughing about that, particularly the last part, respect and trust are earned. uh, What would you say? Uh, I'd love to hear your, uh, maybe your comments, your takes on it. Articulate the eight in your your own language. To me, knowing that this was a kind of personality type was great for my years because I thought I had a psychological problem. 
when I was uh, especially younger, I thought that I would be looking at others with prejudice in, in terms of themselves sometimes being weak, and I am uh, already making a judgment about their personality or the worth of someone based on something that they manifested that I thought that was weak, and then I already created that judgment that always has been something that I've been struggling with. Mm. It's uh, important to differentiate those things. As as we get older, we are become better at doing that, right? And But to me, it has always been uh, this power struggle between who will survive and who won't. So it's, it's always in the back of my mind all the time. Mm. I think for me, it showed up. Like you said, you know, when you find out that you're an eight, it's like, oh, now I understand what this is all about. Um, I was a pastor for about seven, seven to eight years. And in that space of having to fit in and having to look like everybody else. And so I wing nine, thank God, because it helped with just taking the edge off the intensity. But as a woman as well and stepping in and people saying, come and be yourself, not that way, you know, and, and having to hmm. pull back constantly and thinking, well then maybe I'm not a pastor because I'm not gentle and soft and I don't fit in with everybody else because I want us to do things, let's make decisions, let's get things going. And so for a long time, that was there was a power struggle within myself hmm. as to who am I and w- what am I supposed to be doing if I can't be that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know how it is for other numbers, but I found out I was an eight and I was like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> and I've heard other people they find out their number and they're like, "This is horrible. This is got to be wrong." And I'm like, no, "This is this is great. I, I do something with all this energy." Um, and it makes a lot more sense than I look back and think, "Oh, like when I used to play video games like all weekend." And when I say all weekend, I mean literally all weekend. Um, <laughs> energy going somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, and then you know being able to focus that now on, on things and. And I guess feel better about being the energy in the room and doing that with purpose is mm. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that a lot. Um, I feel like a lot was confirmed for me in terms of who I felt like I already knew I was, but just in having the the back and forth with Joel, it confirmed for me that I feel like I've always had a pretty good ability to discern authenticity from somebody mm. just putting up a front. So my whole life, I feel like I don't, I haven't had lots and lots of friends, but the friends that I have let in, those ones that have earned my respect and trust mm. and, and shown me through action that I can rely on them. Because it takes a lot for me to let myself rely on somebody. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's probably universal with almost all eights. I mean, at least the, the eights I know and what's in the literature is your ability to rely on people. That's not that's not something you do very easily. Um, yeah. I rely on people, rely on God, rely on sure. anything that's outside of yourself, you know. I think for many eights, we can do this. I got this. I don't need somebody else's help. Because there's not a need for somebody, I don't even intentionally go in thinking, I need to rely on you, you know? And so if somebody comes to me and says, I need you, it's like, so why? And what do you want from me? Because there's that place of not wanting to be used or manipulated and Mm. vulnerable in that way. Mm. Really good. I would say that this kind of reliance thing shapes the decisions that we make professionally, I think, because... I never saw myself working 
for somebody like for, for my whole life. I, it's there was always like something inside me saying to me that I would never put myself in a position to rely my job or my capabilities on someone. You know, it was mm. always like you have to be responsible for whatever you do on your own terms. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed working, it doesn't matter what effort I put into the job. Somehow I always end up in charge of something or somebody or whatever. And I'm like, I just I just want to get some work done. And they're like, you, you've got leadership or something. And I'm like, ah. But the reverse of that is when you're not in a leadership place or in a strategy planning place, I feel like I'm in a cage and I'm cooped up and it's like somebody just let me out. And and so oh. even in the position I'm in now, I'm not the lead manager. And even in that place of, okay, is this my ego? Is it my personality? Is it my drive? You know, and struggling with feeling like you're being prideful, egotistical to want mm-hmm. to lead and manage. And then where's the personality begin and end versus the pride I can do this better than you, <laughs> you know? Mm. And so if you're not in a leadership position, it almost feels like you're living less than who you are somehow. Exactly. I'm always struggling with this thought that I'm not giving 100% of everything that I have and the things that I have taken responsibility mm. to. And that's an attention that um, a lot of body types tend to have is, is about doing. Have I done enough? Am mm. I doing enough? Do you guys feel that way as well? I see your heads nodding up and down. Yes. I'm a human doing, <laughs> not a yeah. human being most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm not doing something, I'm probably making a list about the next things that I want to do. So uh, even if I have a day off, I definitely have learned to relax more, but I, you know, having a family now and knowing that time is precious and have to dedicate it towards getting X, Y, and Z done, then I'm more inclined to do that so I can rest later. It's hard to rest when I know that things need to get done. Things get, things get yeah, yeah, things have to be done. Yeah. What do you guys think you bring to relationships? Safety. The stability. I think anybody in a relationship with an eight feels that safety and that protection uh, naturally because it's not something we think about it's just then. It's the energy that says you're safe when you're with me. Mm. Truth and authenticity um, and energy to relationships. Like, let's do stuff. Let's work through this problem. My wife and I spent a lot of very late nights in, the, in our early marriage, like, working through problems because of our energy, both of our energies that we brought to the situation, I think. Mm. There's a willingness to work through problems. Like, we don't avoid it. It's mm. just like we don't uh, do well with passivity at all. Mm. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, I think you can push the envelope a little bit with it because if you're with somebody who doesn't want to deal with it, it can get tricky. So is that true for all of you? You've, there's something that has to be dealt with. You're going to deal with it sooner than later. Not for me because I'm, I grew up in a big family that didn't confront problems, just kind of got upset about them and uh, let time pass and then you moved on from it. So I think my wife Liz has taught me a lot about uh, confronting and talking about problems and working through them and it's still challenging for me. It's, it's not something I look forward to doing or attack, but I know what the result is going to be 
after the fact. Um, so I've gotten better at it, but no, I, I certainly don't seek it out. <laughs> do, do any of you feel that hesitancy to confront a situation, even though it's comfortable for you, because of how you know others can often receive or perceive it? I had to learn that because I used to be blunt all the time. And that I that would create a lot of lots of trouble, especially when I got married. I regret the things I said to my wife with good intentions, but weren't uh, said at the right time and with the right words. So I'm always looking for challenge. I'm always trying to get to the bottom of things as soon as possible because I know the danger of hiding stuff under the rug and keeping that dirt there for too long. I don't know. I've always trying to get to the bottom of things as soon as possible. And I'm always trying to bring depth to relationships. Otherwise, I, it means that I really don't care. <laughs> mm, right. Mm. And I think that's it, right? It feels fake, yeah. uh, like you're pretending, almost hypocritical. Yeah. If this thing is there and you're not dealing with it. And that's a judgment I can definitely put on other people in relationships if they're not willing to confront me in those situations. If I, I'm like, let's, let's do this, and they're like, oh, no, everything's fine. And I'm like, your body language and every way you interact with me indicates that <laughs> things are not fine. So let's deal with it so things can be fine again and we can move on. Is there a, a discernment of energy with you eights where you think this is worth putting energy into and this is not? Yeah. You're shaking your heads up and down. Yeah, I tell my wife that all the time. She's like, you know, like, I don't feel like you care about me or you're something like that. And I'm like, if I didn't care about you, like, I wouldn't be telling you about these things. I Like, people that I don't care about, I don't give feedback to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I have a line of thought of, like, efficiency. I'm always about, okay, how can we get from point A to point B quickly but, you know, put in the, the energy that needs to be there. But sometimes my wife needs to process things longer or multiple times. And I'm like, didn't we cover this already? <laughs> I have this. <laughs> so. Let me tell you how you feel about this. Yes. That is so funny to hear because it's a, it seems like that's a universal thing with AIDS is like, once a decision's made and we're moving, we're in motion. Why are we still having a conversation about this thing? Let's, let's just, like, get going. Yeah, looking in the rearview mirror, looking back is not yeah, a it's thing. Not thing. It's not do. a thing. Yeah. But even when you talk about energy, being able to just pick up somebody else's energy and know where they're at, I can also feed into that and be like, okay, we've made the decision, but you can sense the hesitancy in somebody else and trying to resist just not walking away from the whole thing and saying, I'll just do this without you. Mm. And working to sit down and restrain myself so that they're ready to go can be mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tremendously challenging. Yeah. One of the things I'm not highly concerned about in this group, and this is just a sort of a point of clarification, is that there's a sort of group think because AIDS tend not to just move with group think. Even though you're, you would maybe pull back if there's something you don't feel like is worth putting the energy into – your tendency won't be to just fall into this sort of group think. And one of the things we've been saying about our particular podcast is that we really don't look for uniformity or complete agreement in panels because each person has their own expression of their own type and it's going to be very different. There's an archetype that brings us all together, but the expression is very different. It's based on wing types. It's based on subtypes. It's based on culture. It's based on environment. There's so many gender. There's so many other things that, that come into that. So... Any other thoughts in terms of what you bring to relationships? So safety, a lot of people say that about AIDS when I'm around an AIDS. I feel 
safe, you know, um, but also at times challenged by the AIDS as well. Truth. Authenticity. Yeah. Authenticity. People Loyal, don't have loyalty. to want loyalty. That's yeah. a big yeah. thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first time I ever went water skiing, nobody told me you were supposed to let go when you fell over. And so I held on to the thing and I got dragged like eight feet underwater. My head was full. And they're like, dude, you're supposed to let go. And I was like, this is like a metaphor for my life and relationships. <laughs> I'm like, they're like, why do you keep taking why, why Why do you keep pursuing this relationship or whatever? And I'm, I'm like, well, because, you know, I'm you can loyal. make it work. You right. Know, you, it almost feels yeah. like failure. Yes. You do let go mm-hmm. or walk away. Huh. It can feel like I've failed at this task or at this. I mean, even if it's a personal relationship, yeah. it's, a, it's a task. It's a tangible thing that I need to conquer and succeed at. And to mm. walk away or let go can feel like failure, mm. at, at least for me. Hmm. That's funny because, I mean, I did the water skiing thing. But, I mean, in dating relationships, like, my longest ever was three months. Because it's like, well, this is clearly not going anywhere. So it's like... I think so quick to end things, but you guys, that sounds like the opposite of what you were just saying. So. Yeah, I think it was in, like in friendships, in college, different things. And then my wife and I, we met and got married in 77 days. So, um, you know, we just made it over the three month mark there and figured out this was going somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What do you need from your relationships? I mean, this is a tough question for AIDS generally because you guys are so independent. Yeah. Um, so self-referencing. You know what you think. You know what you believe. You know what you feel. You're not, you're not seeking out the world's input a whole lot uh, into your lives. And as very independent people, that's a tough question. But what are your thoughts about that? What do you, what do you think you need from, from relationships? The question should be, do you need a relationship? <laughs> <laughs> do you need people? Right? Yeah, you yeah. need people at all. I, you know, we've reflect back of authenticity and truth is most probably what I would say I would want from a relationship. But I also find that I have a tendency to also want to be the focus of your attention in that relationship. Like, if I'm with you, I want it to be all about me. So they can... It can feel almost egotistical in a way that if I'm going to be in this relationship, make it worth my time by making it about me. And that can come across really selfish, I think, or even controlling. It can be misinterpreted as controlling, but that's how it feels. Mm. I need uh, validation, um, validation for time and effort and work that that I put in. I feel like I need to be needed sometimes um, in a lot of different ways. That can get challenging because I know what I need, but I don't communicate it clearly sometimes. So I want... In a relationship, a lot of times I assume that somebody can uh, read my mind and know what I need. Um, So communicating those needs sometimes is challenging. I need my vulnerability not to be used against me Mm. in a relationship. Like if I'm open with somebody and then they use that to like take advantage of me in the future, try to manipulate me or something like that, that's, that's the sure way to end things. Badly. So, yeah, like that kind of trust with my vulnerability is really important. It's a constant, it's a constant struggle, right? Because when you make a decision to be in relationship with that person, that person has got to validate the fact that you're there and not use it against you because the fact that you've made a decision to be with this person is the trust. And once that gets used against you, it's so easy to just shut them off again. So it's this constant back and forth with, I don't need you. So if I'm here, validate the fact mm-hmm. that I'm here. 
validate what I bring to the world. So is that an act? I mean, this is remarkable because that, I probably hadn't th- thought of it this way. Is that so for you, even just the very fact that you're present to people, that you're loyal, that you're consistently there, that's an act for you that is clear in your mind that I'm communicating that I'm here, that I'm that I am committed, right? Would you say that that's even a vulnerable act on your part to to be in relationship in a sort of mutually dependent relationship or like a cat that lives in the house like that the cat thinks that oh, everybody that's there it's there to serve the cat, right? <laughs> yeah, I call myself a cat person. I tell that my wife, she's a dog person. And we always had these have these conflicts because we have these two type of personalities. But I, I agree, yeah. Huh. And it's unconscious. It happens unconsciously. Dogs yeah. need you, cats don't. Yes. <laughs> I like to be challenged as well. So I like to challenge, but I love being challenged, especially when I know that the other person is doing that for my own good. I tend to love when my wife tells me the truth and it's something like it hits me right in the middle of my chest, right? I love that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, when anybody meets me, like, for, meets my energy, with their energy. Like, if I come into a situation, like, sarcastically and fun and somebody comes back with that, that's, like, a great back and forth or, like I said, the challenge um, in a relationship. Talk about how that would come across in ways that can be disrespectful, in ways that can be respectful. <laughs> like, because on one side, you, you don't want to be disrespected as an eight. What does it look like to you being challenged in a way that is helpful to you in a relationship? It's hard to diss an eight. It really is, especially if it's that sarcastic going back and forth. I think for me, I would feel disrespected if you're talking about my performance in something, something I've done that I know that I aced, and you come back and you say it's not good or it's not good enough. That's where I feel it. But when it comes to personality or back and forth, it's really hard. I tell people, you cannot offend me. There is mm. very, all, all the time. Right. All the oh, time. yeah. Really? And they don't get it. Yeah. They're like, did I offend you by doing this? I'm like, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, cuz I yeah, I feel like I'm very thick-skinned and yeah. uh ha- that that skin just keeps getting thicker and I feel like I'm pretty honest with myself in terms of when I do mess up or if if person that I'm friends with or my wife is honest with me, I've already covered that in my head. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Or you know, or I'm very quick to say no, I don't I, I don't see that. So, I think self-reflection I'm pretty strong with. So in terms of somebody, um, I would agree, like performance or where I think my strengths are in terms of uh, caregiving and somebody would challenge that, then I would be offended. Right. Yeah. If somebody takes power away from me uh, or doesn't like think that I can take care of a situation or something that I've been put in charge of, I feel disrespected. Recently, I got set up as meeting expectations on a job review, and I was like, meeting expectations? What did I do wrong? Like, why am I not exceeding expectations? <laughs> uh, so it's it's interesting to think sometimes how those perceptions that other people have of me, like my performance, can matter more than other things. Hmm. Yeah, to me, um, feeling that I'm being manipulated, it really mm. brings the worst out of me. Like... Mm. Murder like thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel it right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst, man. I never thought that I would be so angry 
uh, about someone when I figured out that someone was trying to manipulate me. It was, I think that, that, that relates to the control thing. It's just bad. Yeah, and it just, for our audience, control is a, is a major key need for mm-hmm. you, Eights. Am I right about that? Yes. The need to feel like you've gotten, you're not being controlled by the world around you and that you're maintaining self-control and control of your own sort of yeah, world. And I th- yeah, and I think one of my challenges with when I first read the definition of the eight, the control thing, because I'm not looking to control you. You know, I'm not a controlling person. But I don't like situations that I'm not in control of. And I think it's different because the vulnerability and the feeling of being manipulated, that concept of power being taken away from you is situational. It's not the person I'm trying to control. It's I don't want you controlling me. And so I need to always stay in a place of power, not over you, but over the thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little different. I don't consider myself a controlling person in a relationship or anything like that. But I don't want anything controlling me or situations overrunning me in any way. Yeah, I I want to I want to know if we're going somewhere, okay, what time do we need to be there? Wh- how long are am I expected to be there? Uh, and if it's one of those open-ended events, we're going to I would encourage us to take two cars because um <laughs> yes. You know, just the reality is my wife is more social and Uh, open-ended talker than I am. And there comes a certain point where being around too many people, I'm done. Done. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if I need to go somewhere, give me the address. Don't give me directions because I can figure out how to get there. (laughs) That's funny. That's that's also like a metaphorical thing for you eights, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And and I think we enjoy figuring it out, right? That's part Mm -hmm. of the joy of life is figuring out how to get there. Well, and you mentioned like taking respect away from you, Andy. Is that that what you're thinking? Is like, I mean, even just like taking respect away would be like trying to control, not not trusting you with like you can get from point A to point B. This is the way that you have to go. Now, give me me some tips about it. You know, you want to avoid this or this is faster or whatever. But yeah, when it's prescriptive like that, it's... And that's more controlling. That feels controlling to you, Aids. A metaphor I use a lot at work is that I like guardrails and not uh, railroad tracks. So, like, guardrails, you can can go around guardrails. They they keep you generally in the right direction. But railroad tracks, like, it's there's one way to go or two ways. There's no fun in it, right? No fun at all. And I think that's where the creativity for the eight may come up. You know, people always ask me why I love project management because, you know, they don't want, they think project management is this complex thing. And for me, it's creative because when you get a problem or a hurdle, the idea of coming up how to fix it or how to overcome it is so very fulfilling. So I love it when things go off the rails or go completely screwy because this is where I'm going to shine is figuring it out. And it's such a creative power that comes from that. I love the challenge of it. Well, there's something that my wife says that kills her. It's when she says, I disconnect from her. It, it can go like three days and I will speak like a couple words with her on the, in these three days. And like you said, I can, I can very easily cut off the emotional connection when I want to. And I think that what you said makes sense if I feel like I have that opportunity to be in a safe place again that would help but then i just realized that i i shouldn't be doing that anyway <laughs> i don't know maybe it's the uh, a natural capacity that i have to just cut the emotional uh, uh, attachment for a few days 
very easily. I know that I will feel later the the need, but it's something that I I can't control. I think sometimes my emotions get the best of me if I'm really angry about something. I have to walk away from it too and find a space where I can process it and the time to process it. There's so much thinking and back and forth talking in my own head that happens and time that passes. I I know eventually I will figure it out on my own and then I I can process it with my wife or whoever it is. But I know for me, I have to counteract the anger first because that is going to be a wall for me to be able to process anything and make sense of it. But I know also on the flip side of that, I'm also protecting myself in that that anger is protecting me in the moment. Mm. I'm using that as a a Mm. self-defense mechanism too. So I've figured that out about myself too. Mm. What if I come in home from work like upset or angry about something and I snap at my wife, like there's times when she can like sort of hold space for that energy and just let it wash over her and not like respond directly to it from her place of anger or whatever. And when that happens and when she can do that and just sort of like let me be me, it really like diffuses it for me. And then I can like I've got it out and I can move on. That's like a safe holding space kind of a thing for me. Mm. I'm in an interesting place because I'm single now. But having been in the church and being in such a tight community and having relied so much on the voices of others, I find myself in a place where I almost resist somebody else speaking into my situations. And so I go home and I go home alone and I'm angry alone and I can figure it out alone and I can process alone. But I find myself even more resistant to wanting to be even back into a community where they tell you how to behave or tell you what to believe. And so I think that's what plays into that lack of need for space is that thing that says that has caused me so much harm in the past and has reduced me and made me feel small in the past that I don't want to give space for another voice any longer. Mm. Wow, thank you. Yeah. It's very, very o- open, honest, and transparent. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, there's fine confusing about you eight. <laughs> Nothing. What's wrong with right. you? <laughs> I mean, I, you're like, hey, I put everything out there. How in the world could that be confusing, right? My wife asked, her, asked her this question. My first response was, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Such yeah. an eight response. I love it. Perfect. Love it. Yeah. Maybe my criticism. I used to have my criticism as my major mechanism to say that I care. But yes. it never gets the response that I thought I would be worth receiving. <laughs> Oh, well, you said it earlier, Andy, right? You said, uh, you know, um, uh, if I don't care, I just, I'm not even going right. to give you that, right? I'm not even going to tell you. Uh, I'm not even going to give yeah, you the gift the of fact, my criticism. Just the fact that I'm criticizing <laughs> you means I care. Yeah, one of the biggest things goes back to my processing situations or what somebody said. And like I said, I have so many internal thoughts between my ears going on that I don't communicate to people, that I get in trouble sometimes because I assume or I assume I said something even like a number of times my wife and I have small 
disagreements about what I said or what she said. And I know that I said it out loud, <laughs> but, but she's like, no, you didn't. And and that's where that voice is so strong in my head sometimes that it's almost, um, you know, that is obviously very confusing for her and confusing for myself too. So, so people that don't know me at all, I'm sure they're like, what in the hell is going on here? <laughs> Yeah, I find, I think people find it confusing that I'm angry, but I'm not often angry at the person that I'm talking to. I may be intense about the situation or I may be angry at the situation that they're describing to me. Like if my wife tells me about how she had a bad interaction with somebody at the store or whatever, and she thinks that I'm angry at her, but I'm angry at the person for having that interaction with her or something. Mm. But I'm exuding that anger in that situation. I've seen actually, and I think, um, Jim, I've seen you do this at times where you, we had this con- conversation between me, you, and, and someone else, and you wanted to protect this individual. This individual felt like your energy and your intensity was being directed towards them. And then once that got surfaced, it's like, no, actually, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. They perceived it as controlling. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. You do whatever you want. I just wanted to, you know, it was more coming from that place of I'm angry because I feel like you're being manipulated. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think part of what's confusing with that, too, is like people tell me I'm full of myself. I'm stuck up. I think everything is right. And it's I'm not coming from an energy that says I'm prideful. I don't mean to come across prideful or stuck up. But, well, yes, I do know what's right. <laughs> it's just a fact. It's just a fact that I know. And, it's, I'm, and I'm stating something factually. This is the right way to do it. And But the, the what they see is somebody who doesn't... It, it's uh, I'm full of myself, and yet I'm, I'm stating this, and I'm totally giving you space to state what you think as well. I'm totally open to being challenged to that, but because I say it with such assurance or confidence, mm, yeah. it presents, especially from as a female, I think as well, it presents as, you know, the B word. It's immediately, oh, she's telling me what to do, and it's like, no, I'm just stating a fact. Mm. Yeah. I state all my opinions as if they're facts. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the ultimate fact. <laughs> the ultimate. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be disagreed with when I submit one of my fact opinions. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you, you can say, uh, no, I think this other way, and you can provide some good evidence, and then we can, we can move on from there. But uh, maybe I often take up too much space in a conversation by, with, with my opinions and— <laughs> Getting other people that bring facts, opinions. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great, Mauricio. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, and I agree 100 percent in everything that was said. I plan a lot, so I think that because I have planned everything out beforehand, I feel I have the right to be uncontested sometimes. Mm. Mm. Well, at the same time, I love criticism, so. It's a paradox. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that does speak to the confusion. I could, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. A- another point that occurred to me as we were talking that I hadn't really thought about before um, is the difference between the way you guys speak about controlling. And, and sometimes you can come off as controlling because of the intensity and the assurance that you come, the confidence you come with, the criticism. Um, and, um, and yet... You, you don't feel like you're trying to control people. There's also this level of autonomy that you want to maintain, right? 
There's a difference then between that version of whatever that we want to call that controlling or whatever else versus sort of manipulation, emotional manipulation that mm. also comes across as controlling. And I think there's a distinct difference that can get confused by mm, some people as you're trying to control me and get into my space when you eights do not want to be in anybody's space. You want to be in your own. But the what you're offering maybe is so, so. Anyways, I don't want to keep talking about that. Just let you guys talk about what do you, is, does that make sense? The difference between those two, I think, makes a lots of sense. But <clears throat> quite frankly, I I think sometimes I do want to control the whole situation. But as long as people have autonomy, but I am in control of everything that's happening around them. <laughs> you know what I mean? They have autonomy sure. to be themselves, but just like the whole fact I have, opinion I thing. have, yeah, I have sure. architectured the whole structure of how things should. <laughs> Uh, occur. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love it. I love it. Um, and, but I, I, I agree. I agree. It is that we want to control the situation. And it's weird because that word control, when somebody says, I feel controlled, we don't want to feel controlled. We don't want to feel manipulated. And therefore, we don't want to control you. It's not what we're offering. We're not giving something that we don't want to receive. I don't want to control you, but I do want to control the situation and ultimately the results. I want to control the outcome. I want to control where this goes. I want to control the destination mm -hmm. and all of that. But you, as a person, you do what you want once you do it and we achieve the same outcome that I want. Mm. Yes. So long as that works out that way. Yeah. Yes. There was a situation where we... Uh, had a really nice dinner with some family that was in town. And we were parked, and at this restaurant, there were three or four cars waiting for a parking space. And they saw that we were leaving, and we were getting ready to back out. And another car kind of thought they were going to cut off this other person that was going to take our space. Well, uh, these two gentlemen behind us are now behind my car, so I can't leave. And they are getting, like— very verbal and almost to the point of being physical. And we had a couple, my son and we had my niece with me. And I I feel like in these opportunities is, is where I really feel like I have a strength because I get very, very calm. I get very, very quiet. And I got out and I went back then and I said, God, you know, I just in a very calm voice tried to calm them down. And I said, but whatever you decide— you don't want the police involved. And I said, and ultimately, whatever you decide, one of you is going to have to move so I can leave. And that's ultimately, you know, what I wanted to get out of it. But I also tried to calm down the situation. And, and I feel like as a teacher, I'm constantly manipulating not kids, but their surroundings and trying to anticipate what's the next thing that could control this situation. So... That was a, a mm. long story, but kind of connected no, that's, that's to, to what you were yeah. saying. Yeah. And I think, you know, talk about what we bring to relationships. It is that calmness. I mean, we can walk in to something that's chaotic and totally just bring it right down because we have the ability to assess a huge situation immediately. I mean, I can look at the energy. I can walk in that room and I know exactly what's going on and exactly what to do, mm -hmm. say, or be to fix it. And I think mm -hmm. we bring that to relationship for sure. I've had people say, you walk into the room and it's complete peace. Because it's not scary to us in the same way it is to others. Right. Mm -hmm. Things will happen, and we'll just roll with the punches in that. And that, yeah, like you said, that's not scary at all. That's just, that's actually fun. Right. Mm. <laughs> Chaos is fun. 
as long as we can bring it back to order. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Another point of confusion that maybe you can address that sometimes comes up for type 8s is, um, and this goes towards the whole misunderstanding thing, so I'm kind of dovetailing both of those two questions I was going to ask you about, how are you misunderstood? So you can speak to that too, but it's a whole confrontation component. When you confront, it gets perceived a certain way, but oftentimes it gets perceived a certain way that isn't the way you're actually intending to, what, what you're trying to uh, communicate. Um, can you speak to that? I, th I think there's a place where like, people don't believe that I'm telling them the truth about something because maybe it's not a situation where people normally tell the truth about that. And so they, they discount it or behave like it's, it's not the truth or whatever. And so that like, can lead to confusion or misunderstanding in situations. It's like, well, I ask you this question. People don't answer this question, honestly. But I did answer that question, honestly. So let's go with that and, and, and move on. And you know, I said it, so it's real. <laughs> I think it also lends to society's just our understanding of confrontation. Because typically when somebody confronts us, it is negative or it's manipulative. And so when we confront, people immediately have judged the confrontation as this person is attacking me or trying to diminish me in some way. And so the confusion is we're not typical confronters, right? We're confronting because we love, we confront because we trust, and we confront because we have respect for you. Oh, the irony is we confront from a very positive stance. And I think the confusion is typically people are confronting because it's negative, it's manipulative, and putting down. And so there's a misunderstanding as to when I'm approaching you, it's truly out of love and respect. And that's not a typical, that's not typical society. Mm-hmm. Mix that word a little bit with even like challenging. So because it's not, um, and I really appreciate the diversity in this room because Kim, you'd said, I mean, you, this, you're not looking to actually have confrontation. Yeah. I think that's so important to be said about AIDS because there's this overwhelming perception that all AIDS are attackers. They're all the same way. There's a variety of AIDS. There's some who are definitely highly more, con much more confrontational. And there are others who don't confront much. But the idea of challenging a situation or challenging someone's thought with a question, with a with seeking out to see um, what's the what's going on here, you know, to to find out the agenda, find out what the thought is behind this. AIDS can challenge and will challenge as part of the way to. Um, well, I'll let you guys finish it, but I think in terms of some of the things you would start to say, Angel, is is towards relationship. I mean, you're wanting to, to do this because you actually care, right. because you love, and this is also part of the way for you to have connection with people is through sometimes through challenging, also at other aids through confronting. And I think maybe even the definition of confrontation, because, you know, Kim talked about the story with the two gentlemen behind her and coming out of the current That's speaking a confrontation. To them. That's a confrontation. Sure. And, you know, some people would look at that as a confrontation. And yet, Kim, you, you say you pull back from confrontation. And so we may say the word confrontation and an eight may not see it as confronting. Mm -hmm. It's just getting this it's really, thing That's really good. Very mm -hmm. important to be said. Definitely. Yeah. You know, so it's not, we're not being confrontational. We're just trying to fix it, but it's perceived as mm -hmm. confrontation. Well, mm. and sometimes that confronting or challenging, whichever you want to call it, for me, if I'm 
challenging or confronting a situation. It's sometimes it's more information gathering. So I uh, have more uh, okay. um, yeah. uh, arsenal to to battle the situation and know what I'm getting into or it's time to go some type of situation. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think often my conflict or, or, or judging is non-judgmental. Like it's it's amoral. I'm not like I'm not like you're a bad person for this. I'm like mm-hmm. you did this thing. If you did this other thing, it would be better. And it's not like I, I'm not applying mm-hmm. judgment to the person that I'm having conflict with. Like you're you know mm. in, in that, but just to the action of the situation. Mm. And uh, I don't think other people perceive it that way. Often. Right. It, I, oh, I love that because it gets muddy for a lot of people when they're doing that sort of judgmental act for other types. It's very muddy because it's this like it involves morality. It involves a lot of other things. And when you get pushed back as an eight, when you've said something that for you is, I'm just addressing this issue. And then the reaction you get is like all over the place and messy and like, why are you saying this about me? And why are you talking about me? And you eights are like, I'm still thinking about this one. Thing. Like, why are we getting into all this? I'm not addressing this other stuff. Do you find that to be true for? I, um, I've been trying to talk to my wife recently about staying at the same level of analysis when we're talking about something. And I was, of course, I was lecturing her about that, and she hated. And once she started hating me because of that lecture, I missed my point. So I'm still on that process. <laughs> but the level of analysis is really important for us because when we are talking about something, we stay in that realm. We do not try to say that it's a personal thing or we don't try to address other things. Just that level of analysis. But it's not everyone receives that in the same way that we have prepared in our minds. Hmm. Yeah. I think what people find confusing, confusing is we're looking for the valuable. We're, it's like we're, trying, we're always trying to make gold. And to do that, you have to create a lot of heat. And a lot of people only feel the heat. They don't understand that we're creating the heat in order to produce the gold. Mm. Yeah, mm. it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I I agree, but sometimes I, if I I am always trying to get to the bottom of things, as you know. But sometimes I'm just trying to create the heat. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> at our best. Yeah, at our best. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just want to see things burning for a little bit. <laughs> like fire. Yeah. I would have to agree with that. I love stirring the pot. And just and I love even just saying something just for the shock factor. <laughs> love to see that reaction and just and then stand yeah. back and let it burn. It's so interesting because you goes to this whole thing. You guys in the midst of like crises, chaos. Yeah, you know. Yeah, when stuff it's, blowing up. That's yeah. when you guys feel calmest, calm, right? Most probably. Yeah. Yes. That's so remarkable how that happens. Where Almost every other type that that we know of the, uh, on the Enneagram does not really care for that. That's the stuff that they avoid at all costs. And so you guys come in when there's crises. And sometimes, I mean, this, this in part goes to the issue of confusion and also misunderstanding, is that you're wanted in those places of crises because of how calm you are. And then what happens is 
you're not so wanted. That part of your energy is not really welcomed once that chaos has been fixed, once mm-hmm. things have changed. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll stir things up again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you go back to stirring it up yeah. again. <laughs> and I think we also, when it is calm, when outside of us is calm, we have a tendency not to want to be there either. So there is that. So, yeah, we may not be wanted, but it's not attractive to be in a place where everything is just status quo, going along. So it's almost, if we don't stir it up, we disconnect. For me, at least, it's a very unhealthy place to be where everything is going to be the same thing tomorrow. Hmm. And it's predictable. I know my day is going to, no, no, let's let's create some heat. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'd say that's one of the best things about teaching, especially in special ed, is every day is different. Every hour is different. You never know what you're going to get from students. And it's also exhausting, too. But being challenged personally, day in and day out, or that one student that you can't break through the ice. So you you continually try different strategies and, oh, this worked. And, you you know, you put a, a flag on that. Um, so being a teacher is is that constant challenge and, and little fires. And I do like to stir it up because I feel like that's the best way to challenge students, to, to get them out of their comfort zone mm. and get them out of their bubble. But they challenge me just as much too. So mm. Challenging people is how you know who they are, what they're made out of. Uh, if I come in, if I have working through some new idea and I and a group of people say some seemingly ridiculous statement or say it in a, in a more intense way than, than most people would and other people meet me back and engage with the idea, then that helps me build trust with them. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're willing to sort of meet me in the intense way that I will approach a situation. So what's the worst thing then? If people just don't, someone's like, oh, well, whatever. They don't, they just sort of pull back pull away, don't meet you at your place of energy, don't, like, have any contribution, they don't want to talk to, talk to you about that thing that you brought up. Is that off-putting? I mean, this is—I want to have this question because I think a lot of people would assume that looking at the Enneagram through their eyes, like, well, nobody wants to be challenged. Nobody wants to be confronted. Nobody wants to— And when you're putting it out there, you're actually looking for that response— so maybe speak to that so that because that's another point of confusion and misunderstanding sometimes for people in relationship with AIDS. Yeah, I think if you don't respond, it can lower like in my sort of mental checkbox of how our relationship's going, it can lo- lower that status and I will not be as interested in engaging in that relationship. Like going back to like where I'm in- interested in spending my energy relationally. Mm. I care about you, so I'm still engaging with you. But if it goes down the other way, then I stop engaging. Then there will be no energy at all directed that direction. Mm. It's almost like it lowers the usefulness of that person in my life. And I I know that sounds (laughs) extremely judgmental, but that's what it feels like. It's like I don't have—so it's situational. If I'm in a team and I have to work with this team and I'm leading this team, and there's certain people that are not— meeting me at my energy, I will go and pursue them one-on-one and challenge them so that they do because I can't stand being in a team that's where one person is often just going along and just being a yes, yes man. Um, but if I don't have to work with that person, I will just not. I, I, wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even think about it. it just, it's, a grad, it's a natural thing to just turn away and go find somebody else. 
And I have to be really conscious of that as a manager. And so I don't let anybody get away with it. And that's where the challenge will come is I can't stand being around somebody who's not going to meet me right where I'm at. Hmm. We don't go anywhere without it. There's no creativity. There's no accomplishment without it. So, hmm. And so the first thing I do with my team is I say, it's an open door policy. Challenge me in everything. Ask every question. There's nothing wrong. Yeah, if it's and, make it, raised, and make it safe for them to be able to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, how do non-confrontational people then connect to you in that environment? It would be, for me, it's one-on-one. I will pull them aside and say, notice this. This is who I am. Where are you at? Tell me what you really feel. And if it is that they can't do it in a team manner, I'd still make it safe for them to do it, to come see me separately. But I'm not going to be able to build a relationship. It's not going to be a relationship with the person from my point of view. Am I making sense? And we can come back to that because that, that's, that'll go to our, our final question. But this is where for eights oftentimes what is not brought to your attention is not a problem. Does that make sense to you? In other words, if a, if a person has not brought up an issue they have either with you personally or with the plan that you've put out there, then there's not a problem. Um, you're not going to be the mind readers. You're not going to be checking in regularly with everybody to see how you're doing. Are you okay with the plan? Are you okay with my ideas? And so other people will look at that as, you know, they're not paying attention or they're not looking at the situation or looking at me and understanding me. But for you, you might be, you're, again, for you guys, it's if it hasn't been brought to our attention, yeah, I agree. it's not a problem. Totally agree. I think sometimes I lack this kind of emotional sensitivity uh, about what's going on in other people's minds and mm. feelings. Uh, so it's definitely something that if I'm not willing, if I'm not willing to pay attention to, I'll just live as everything is moving on as planned. I won't care much about other people's feelings or whatever. It's hidden that I cannot see. So I, it's a... Uh, it's something that needs to be constantly attacked from my end in terms of making myself aware mm. of that. It's a struggle to open my eyes to those details. It's not something that comes naturally, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would say if I haven't anticipated an issue or something, how it may or may not affect somebody, then it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But if a, if a person comes to me and does confront me, uh, I would say in the, the work setting or the school setting, I try try very hard to be open-minded and listen to them and and have that honest feedback back and forth. And, and then if they still have an issue with it, you know, uh, I like to be a problem solver too. Okay, how can we, how can we figure this out? Um, but ultimately, I don't hold grudges unless I've been personally hurt or a f- family member has been hurt. And by grudge, I set put up a stronger wall against that person of mm. protection. Mm-hmm. But but in terms of if somebody has an issue with the way I did something, I'll try to honestly look at it. But then, you know, going forward, we're going to go forward, new page. Mm. I'm not going to hold it against somebody for having an issue mm. with the way that I did something or said something. I think for me, because I wing nine, that's where my eightness kind of pulls away is if there is 
something going on and I'd pick it up just energy-wise. I'll know that person is mm. happy, even if they haven't brought it to my attention. I will go and pursue peace in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they don't meet me in that place of honesty, that's where I'll be like, okay, I'm not going to try. And I can have a tendency to just be that peacekeeper in that space as opposed to peacemaker. It's just, okay, we'll just um, pretend you're not there and mm. be more passive. And it, it it's interesting because it shows up in the places where people don't want to be authentic or don't want to bring that authenticity to the relationships. And I pick it up. I sense it. Even if they don't say it, I know they don't agree. It's just... I feel it Mm -hmm. but I have a tendency to want to figure it out Mm -hmm. you know so I'm definitely more emotional in that way Mm -hmm. I'm much more aware of how I think how other people's emotions are going to affect me than how mine are going to affect them in an average space okay and I think I spent probably the first 30 years of my life in that space where it was just the bull in the china shop of everybody else's emotions and had just no idea at all. People would be like, you, you know, you, you can't do that. Or if you, you do this, it affects people. I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I wasn't, you know, and it was like, oh, I wasn't trying to do anything. I was just trying to accomplish this thing or whatever. And so it's it's been a, the last 10 years of trying to figure out, like, have emotions and how do my emotions affect other people and being more in tune to that. Mm. Yeah, their words don't go deep and affect me. Why should mine go deep and affect them? Hmm. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. There's another point of confusion where it's like, why did you take that so personally? And there aren't many others who are like the eights in that space where probably because you are among the most boundaried of the other types where it's very, you know... Your, you know, who you are, your thoughts, your feelings, your desires. And so you're, you're very focused on that. And so the attention tends to go there. Other types are much more about how are we doing? How are things going in relationship? And yeah. I think we see people in that way too, though. You know, that ability to separate their, what they've done from who they are. If you want to say we're very bounded in that way, this is who I am and this is this. As I think I see people in that way where I am dealing with what you did. It's all about what you did. It's not who you are as a person. It's not your morals or anything like that. It's, I completely it's action. separate action from identity. Um, and I, mm. I see clearly it's like a scalpel. It's just, just not the same where people have a tendency to identify with what they do. You know, I am what I do, but that's not how yeah, I Yeah, all see the intention you. goes into this conversation. Right. I didn't mean it. This way. Yeah. This is so important for people to understand. The difference between particularly eights is being, you know, very body type. It's action-oriented, and that's where your attention goes. And so when people bring in this other stuff, it's I'm not addressing the emotions. I'm not addressing your thoughts, your rationality behind your intention. Behind, I'm, I'm addressing just this thing, the, the component, the action. The, the action behavior, and the practicality you know. of it, right? And the practicality of it, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't care about your motivation. You know, I don't care about the emotion that you put into it or anything like that. It's just this very thing, and this is what it resulted in, and mm. we don't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's very clean. It's a very clean-cut way of seeing it. Yeah. Well, to us, it is. <laughs> that might be—I don't know if that's an us, because I wouldn't say that. Okay. 
like the motivation of another human being is extremely important to me. Why they did what they did? Yeah. Or what was behind it, what led to it. Yeah. Because you're being manipulated and controlled by factors that you don't see, so you need to understand your motivation so that you aren't dominated by them in this situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got a couple nods. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's like my my gut about somebody is a lot about their motivation and with their actions that I read in a situation. I think my wife and I, we talk have conversations like that. Right? By conversations, I mean fights about <laughs> things like this. This is this is this is what you meant by this, or this is what you were were thinking or, or doing, um, because I. I intuit that in mm, the situation. Mm. And I think that's less about their actions and more about what I think are behind the actions. That makes a lot of sense because you, you eights are definitely l- looking for where the manipulation might be, where the control might be. People, what are they doing? So that makes a ton of sense that that's part of the pattern. And, of course, each one of you are going to, again, you're going the, 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 the specifics to the pattern are going to be different. The pattern is is somewhat the same, but the specifics, what you're looking for, how you go about doing it, are going to be unique to each one of uh, the eights that are out there in the world. Um, but uh, but that looking for the agenda, who's trying to control whom, what's going, you know, what what might the intention be behind that, and then thinking about in terms of also the emotional component. And that'll be the last question I'll ask about this uh, piece of Before you go on to that, can I just yes, say please. one thing about yes. what we were just saying? I think it all stems back to that piece of trust and h- how much are we going to trust a person. And if I know what motivated them to make a decision that I thought was a really poor decision, I don't say that that's who that person is or it doesn't define them, but it will impact my trust. Of them, oh. yeah, going, it can actually unlock forward. understanding for me, yeah, and absolutely. like un- unlock compassion for me for somebody sure. when they they're like, "Oh, this is what I was thinking when I did this thing that I thought was horrible," and then you, you put the pieces together for the thing behind it, and mm-hmm. you're like, "Oh, that makes sense. I understand you better now. Right? I can treat you differently." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to kill keep you. you at arm's length. <laughs> yeah. I can have a relationship right. with you, or but you don't I, get to know yeah. anything more than me. the surface right. level of me. Mm. Yeah. I learned something new and like, mm. oh, I did have you figured out. Okay. <laughs> yep. Confirmed. <laughs> Confirmed. Check. <laughs> <laughs> so people being open, people being honest, people being truthful, even if it's a poor decision, a decision that was made that, that they – didn't understand would result in these uh, this way. When for you, it's like, well, clearly it would have resulted in that way. I mean, how could you not think that? But they are being truthful, and you perceive that as being truthful. Then that, for you, what does that do for you? When you're you're able to see vulnerability, truth, they're telling me what's really going on. Then I can move on with it. Uh, My wife is a three, and she'll, like, admitting that she did something wrong is not um, something she likes to do. But when she does it, and in a situation, then I'm like, oh, great, you understand, I understood, now we can move on. And she's like, it's still there for her, and I'm like, I'm done with the situation. I'm like, you admitted it, like, maybe you won't do it again. Mm. Let's move on. <laughs> but yeah. there's this whole other component for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
this was the last question. I think this is really excellent that you brought that up, Kim. Um, I think the part that's also sometimes confusing and can be misunderstood is that AIDS are not emotional beings, that they're just action. They're people that just get into motion and do. But there's no emotion. There's no feeling behind it. They're cold or they're it, when they are, they're angry when they're emotional. And that's the only thing we feel. This is just that intensity. Uh, it's either that they're angry and they're getting stuff done or they're just absent. They're, you know, or, or, or shut off. But what's the emotional part to the AIDS that isn't easy for you guys to access all the time, but is there? And you do see it occasionally, and other people see it occasionally. And sometimes they see it in surprising expression. Like, there it is, the, the, the tears. That's not usually, you know, you don't see eights cry a whole lot. <laughs> Last time I cried in front of my wife, she thought I was faking it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that unusual? <laughs> that really builds the trust right there. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't believe it. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I am always emotional. I think I, I feel everything, all mm. range of emotions. It's what I choose to show. Um, mm. And that's that control factor. And if I feel that trust and that safety zone with a person, then I can, I'll allow myself to be vulnerable. And, and I really um, am uncomfortable if my emotions, I, w- I would say sadness or crying, comes out and, and I haven't g- given the okay for that to happen. <laughs> That's when that ugly crying happens. And it's like, no, I need to shut this off somehow. So, yeah. Perfectly yeah. said. <laughs> it wasn't until like I went through, uh, I went through a divorce before I moved to New York, and it was a huge. Uh, my emotional rug was pulled out from under me, and it wasn't until that, and then like being introduced to therapy and like just the concept of emotional health that I even realized, like growing up in the church, that there were other there were things besides like happiness and anger. Those were the the, the two emotions and. We understand that sometimes people get angry, but most of the time you're supposed to be happy and we don't talk about the other things. Mm. Realizing there's this whole spectrum of other emotions and like sort of practicing being aware of them is what opened that up mm. um, for me. There's just so much here for me to unpack, but ultimately being emotional is a lack of control. <laughs> And I've, you know, discovered even recently that being happy for me is a lack of control. I've found that it's difficult for me to be okay with being okay. It's difficult for me to be in a situation where it's actually okay. I actually feel uncomfortable with happiness because that feels frivolous. It feels Mm. fake in some way. And so emotion for me, I agree totally with Kim. I can disassociate with my emotion, know the emotion is there. Okay, there's sadness, there's anger, there's happiness. We won't deal with it right now. No need. And I can literally, the emotion is totally separate from me and choose to feel it or not. And for me, um, I've been meditating a whole lot more, consenting to stillness a whole lot more and just learning to feel the emotion. And I found when I feel the emotion, I can get to the other side of things. I can see things much clearer, much quicker. Mm. And so leaning into feeling emotion more, but definitely having the most difficulty with the emotion of happiness. 
because it feels like when you're happy, there is no control over the situation. It feels like a lack of control where when you're angry, you're sad, you're fixing something, it's problems that you're fixing. But when you're happy, there's no problem. And it feels so foreign mm. to me as an eight to mm. be okay with mm. being okay. Wow. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, but I've, I believe I have, I have experienced the same thing. But I thought I, I've, I could realize that this was actually wrong and kind of a pathological side of my personality that I had to fix. And I think I got it much better now, being able to enjoy the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a just a great day. I'm going to enjoy the day with my kids and my family. I'm not going to worry about anything else. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do that for me. Mm -hmm. But I've been trying to understand that it's just okay to be okay, like you said. It's, mm -hmm. it's and, fine. Yeah, owning joy, just... Yeah. And I know joy. I love nature, and I'm, I'm all about it. I live on the water, and that's where I can find it. Like, if I... And it takes an extreme amount of concentration, you know. For other people, it's relaxing. I have to concentrate on, I'm happy, I'm happy. Ooh, yes. <laughs> you know, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's a whole lot of work mm. to feel joy, um, I'm more relaxed in a situation where there's chaos. I'm more relaxed in a situation where there's negativity. It's it's strange. Mm. And like you said, you feel like there's something wrong with you. It's like everybody is around jumping and screaming and happy. And I'm that's, that's so foreign for mm. me. To me, emotions are ranked in a scale of utility very low. So I always put that as a second order kind of thing. To me, expressing my emotions won't solve the problem. So why should I mm. bother expressing them? Mm. That's the thing that I think I still struggle. Mm. Yeah, the brain ranks it as a lack of um, practicality. Yeah. Mm. Which isn't true. It just took a long time to realize that's not true. <laughs> because there is, there are problems that will occur down the line that will create later inefficiency if they are not given their expression now. But it's taken years to learn that. Mm. It, it, this is very true. I agree. And I think that if I could listen to my emotions and embrace them, especially at the moment, I would actually make them much more useful to solve my own problems. And I'm mm. just not seeing them useful right now. But if I could leverage on that emotion, that will be much better for whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I think for me, that's what I do. It's, I see it as a task. It's like, okay, task, feel emotion, therefore result. And that's how I'm able to get through it is I, I know intellectually it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So it's something to do. So I make it a task, feel this emotion, therefore you can accomplish something. Mm -hmm. So it, it, even then it doesn't feel emotional. Mm -hmm. I'm actually doing something practical You're still in to control. achieve achieve um, <laughs> uh, something. So this is the vice to virtue conversion that's talked about in the Enneagram of moving from uh, that place of, of challenging to being always strong to being vulnerable. Like, to actually lean into the emotions is a vulnerable act for, for you, I imagine. All right, one final question. How do people get to know you? How do those who are in relationship with you that you care about, how do they get to know you? I think it's in the doing 
being willing to do with us if we're if we're action oriented and so get into the action well, at least let me speak for myself if you're doing something I'm quickly known when we're doing something together. I'm not going to talk to you about my feelings. We're not going to have this deep conversation over nothing. But if we're doing something and we're wrestling something to the ground, a problem, solving a problem or something like that, doing something with me, let's let's build something together. That's the quickest way to get to know me. Mm-hmm. Be obsessed about something with me. Mm. Um, like match my energy for some new thing. Or hang with me in some sort of chaotic situation. If a plane, right, like if there's a big layover and a bunch of friends get stuck at an airport or the engine dies in the car and all the plans go off the rails, that's like a fantastic time, I think, to get to know people and get to know me. Yeah, I was going to say opportunistic ways or shared experiences. Um, Coming over... uh, to my house and, like, hanging out in the backyard grilling and, you know, having a few beers type of situation. Um, but ultimately, I will decide if you're going to get to know me or not. All of that, you know, mm. and I agree with the, the, the chaos. But, but ultimately, I am, like, weighing you or sizing you up continuously Consciously, subconsciously, um, I know that about myself. And um, the more opportunities I get to do that, then the more I will let my guard down or jump into conversations or, you know, but I'm I'm constantly the observer of, hmm, and not really questioning, do I want to get to know that person? I'm not seeking out relationships, mm. but opportunities and experiences and Oh yeah, I could I could see myself maybe having a conversation with that person or getting to know them or letting them get to know me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get to know you before you get to know me. And I think that's oh, where the okay. chaos helps is because when there is chaos, I'm not spending time trying to figure out if we know each other or right. not. We're mm-hmm. just the guard is down at that point in time because it's not about trust or anything. It's about accomplishing. Mm-hmm. And so in that chaos, it's that's when you get to know me. And it's still, like you said, at a very specific place you're getting to know me. And it's still in the context only of the situation that you're going to get to know me. And don't feel that just because we've solved this problem that you can give me a call tomorrow and that we're going to hang out. <laughs> that is not so. Well, I mean, it sounds yeah. to me like a lot of the answers are, this is how you get to know the side of me I want you to see. Mm-hmm. There you go. So that's why I was going to push that to if someone wants to know you and in, in they're asking questions, does that help you to to draw you out? How do they get to know you from the inside? I mean, you you made it very clear, like, you know, it's on my terms still. Like, I don't know, you know, I'd rather be the one asking questions than than being interviewed and have someone asking me questions. Yeah, so it's sort they of don't like, get to know me. I choose yeah. to let them know me. And if I choose to let you know me, then there is there's no issue. Mm-hmm. I think I think I work a little bit differently. I mean, to me, if you want to get to know me, just ask whatever you want. I'm I'm always trying to be 100% transparent. And if you want to know me, just ask me. It's like I'm completely open to whatever you want to know about me. Mm-hmm. And I think the, what matters the most to me is to be trustworthy and reliable. I, I want to be someone that you can count on. If we establish some kind of relationship, to me, it matters a lot that you can count on me. Mm-hmm. And I want to be sure that that message is at least somehow uh, uh, transmitted. Mm. Otherwise, 
to me, I don't think I have problems with opening myself based on whatever someone else wants to know from me. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm I'm not the one that comes and starts a conversation. I'm never that kind of guy. But when I get asked, I answer. I always answer. I mean, quite. Yeah, I was going to say, frankly. I want to be transparent and genuine. Um, and if somebody's asking me questions, I'll be honest with them. But my answers will depend on how safe I feel, how vulnerable I want to allow myself to be, how deeper I I am going to allow myself to go with this person. But if I feel like there is manipulation involved or if there's some angle that they're they're coming at me with, then my answers will be different. And again, I'll seek that exit. How can I yeah. get out of this situation mm-hmm. or yeah. give the I think airlift sign to my wife? It's not just a personality <laughs> type thing, right? But to me, this—at least that's the way how I see it. It's like mm. everyone w- yeah, wouldn't like, be like, that. "Don't schmooze me, bro," mm-hmm. at, <laughs> at like a networking event or something like that. Tell me what you want. If, we can do business, but if we want to have like some sort of a relational thing, somebody leading with vulnerability or, or telling me that they aren't perfect in some way—that's the situations where I'm going to be willing to be more vulnerable. And get mm-hmm. to know somebody. Mm. Yeah, you to, can handle that. You 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 can handle someone's being right. Like I, I'm struggling with this. This is a challenge I have in front of me. You can handle that as as an eight. And I can't handle them pretending to be perfect because they're not. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I've been in a situation where other people are crying or other people are sad or losing it, and completely okay with their emotion. You know, and that's another thing that's maybe confusing is just because we are not emotional doesn't mean we can't be around emotion and still see it very clearly for what it is and who the person is and what the solution is and empathize with them. I can empathize with you. I can climb into that pit with you Mm -hmm. and still be very disconnected from your emotion and therefore able to most probably help you more because I can see it clearly. Mm. That also creates a bit of safety for for people around you because you can do that. You can allow them to be them. Allow them to be who they are without feeling like you need to, you you, you need to fix it or you need to to feel what they're feeling. Like there's 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 no need on your part to feel what they're feeling. It's just I'm here, you know. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. You can you can throw the scariest, darkest emotion, and understand that it's it's safe and it's not going to, it's not going to tear anything down. But I'm also not owning your stuff either. I'm not going to own that thing that you're throwing at me. So it's kind of, I think, confusing because people sometimes throw it at you because they want empathy and solution, which we can provide, but they also want commiseration, which will not Not offer. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I used to find myself, I thought there was something wrong with me because I would go after the the most darkest, I would be like the most broken person, send them my way, give me some challenge. And I I saw that as a negative thing. I was like, oh, there's something wrong with you, Angel, if you want to be around the person who's most broken. And then understanding it is the challenge and it is that ability to be around crap and just not be phased by it and enjoy fixing it and mm. um, stay disconnected from it. And people never understood why, like you said, you don't commiserate. I'm not coming down to your level. Mm. I'm not going to do that with you. But I can empathize and have sympathy, but I'm not going to change who I am for you to make you feel better. Mm. 
I can't be around it a lot, though. It's pretty exhausting. Mm-hmm. I can be calm in somebody else's emotional chaos. The same way I can be calm in, like, Situation. situational chaos. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Um, to a point, like you said. I find it interesting. I've, so this has been sort of my own little project as I try to, you know, understand how the different types respond to greetings. So when I greet certain types, there's, a, there's like, I look for that, you know, what the, the type's way of responding to that greeting. What I've noticed, and I won't, I won't speak to the other types. I'll maybe when we do the when we do the others, I'll do them. But, um, but I noticed with eights the, that the thing of so as a type seven, I'm the only seven in this room of five eights here. Um, as a seven, my my enthusiasm tends to be over the top when I see people that I really enjoy and I love. And so when I see you guys, that's exactly how I feel. That's genuinely how I feel. I feel this like. I am so damn happy to see you guys. But it's funny to see your response. It does not match mine. <laughs> Ever. It's not that we're not happy to see you. <laughs> see, I'm glad I'm not taking this personally yeah. like I used to. Yeah, don't take it. Man. I was like, Maybe we're just shocked that this happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the feeling I get yeah. is that you're sort of like, whoa. <laughs> Would you ta- I mean, what is this? This is like, can, you, can we calm down here? I, I get that feeling from you. So it's, it's fantastic because what it shows is how if we understand what you guys need, and this is why it's, it's important, I'm asking this question for our audience's sake, um, as well as just for your own reflection is, so how do people get to know you is the question that is so important because how people approach you can be helpful or not so helpful to opening that door. And as a seven, as I was joking about my over-enthusiasm at seeing people, approaching you eights with a um, let's get to it. Let's get to what this is about. And other types would prefer having a lot of the warm-up conversation, the, the, the how are you feeling, what's happening in the, in the emotional space, and so forth. In relationship, there's a meeting point. There's a halfway point you, you sort of have to get to if you're going to do a relationship. But we're speaking about you. And so getting to that, to the point, getting to what are we talking about, what is the challenge? What's the problem? What what can we do is more helpful, it sounds like, to you guys in terms of that connecting point. I think over-exuberance for me is almost off-putting and has a tendency to want to feel fake. Mm. It's like it's the car salesman, you know, oh, I oh, love yeah. you. And you're like— Used car salesperson. Yeah, no, sure, sure. No, you don't. You're yeah. not really that happy. <laughs> Nobody's really that happy. <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. And thank, I, I mean, I know you, Joel, but that was even initially. You know that that it just feels fake. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. does. And it, yeah. it, I, I have a tendency to quicker put up my wall when you're overly happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I would agree. Yeah. The fun thing um, for me is like I've known Joel known of you for a long time um, when you, you know, first became the pastor at the Vineyard. And I would say in not a, like, weekly way, but, like, been sizing you up and, like, observing you over the years and to see you settle into that exuberance and being who you are and being confident and comfortable in that uh, has been a way that I've gotten to know you mm. and felt safer 
around you. And not that we've had a lot of those opportunities or, or shared experiences to get to know each other more, but in a unscripted way, I've gotten to know you mm. that way. Um, but I, you know, coming back to Angel, I would, I would agree that over-exuberance, um, my discernment quickly flag goes up. Yeah, spider and, sense goes off. And yeah, then it's yeah, like, definitely. What, what's underneath that? And right. is, is it, you know, and sometimes, like, I have, I have other friends that are sevens, and once I get to trust that, then it's great because it, it sort of allows me to fly under the radar while they're doing that. They can be in a room and taking up <laughs> that All kind of space, space <laughs> and I can take up more space as an eight um, yeah. in that room um, under under that, and I don't know. It's fun. Mm. I like that because that's honoring the different types. Like that, that allows you know, if you're fully yourself, great. You can be yourself, you know. And there doesn't need to be this like icky kind of. We all have to be alike, you know, or uh, be in each other's space. Yeah, I always felt that I was I was a misfit. I think when you mentioned in the beginning that culture matters. So in Brazil, people are very homogeneous about that. That's why we have seven days of carnival and the whole country stops, right? <laughs> <laughs> I never understood that. <laughs> to me, that was like the craziest thing in the world. I always actually hated that. <laughs> I used to go to rock concerts or something like that just to protest. <laughs> but, but yeah, but once you figure out that just people can be that happy and it's just their personality, then... You you get to be more comfortable, but first you need to figure that out uh, and understand if they are doing that, you know, not realistic way, or if mm. this is just who they are. Mm. And that matter to to make that differentiation matters a lot. And that's so important for us to hear that from you, Aids. Is that that's your starting point, and that's yes. okay. That's your starting point. You start yes. with a general position, and I hate the terms I put to this because I feel like it's. It doesn't quite get to it, but for the sake of conversation, we still have to put language to things, is there's a starting point of distrust, maybe, that you begin with towards people, a sense of looking for agenda, a BS detector that's very sensitive, however we want to articulate that. Yeah, that's your starting real, point. I think yeah. just be real, and it's that thing where I'm not necessarily looking for the BS in terms of you manipulating me, but are you being real with you? first. And mm. it's that thing that says, if you don't know you, then I don't need to engage. Mm. It's That's that's what it feels like for me. Mm. Well, mm. I would also say, say that, that be real, like, I'm just getting to know you and you're giving me all this personal information. No, thank you. Yeah. Like, that's too <laughs> real. Because yeah. we are always, like, yeah. I'm not, yeah. we are always getting you know prepared. I mean? We are always getting prepared for Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> we need to rely need reliable people. <laughs> See, distrust sounds like a negative word yeah. to me, and I think it's more like— Cautious, an, I would say, maybe. I would say ambivalent curiosity. <laughs> it's, it's just—it's curious. I don't know. So it's not really one way or the other. I mean, it's a darker approach, right? I mean, so, like, if we were just to speak of energy, right, you've got certain types on the Enneagram that if we were just doing a compare and contrast, this isn't like there's a truth to this. Like, it's just like a, we're taking—this is all perception, right? It's a perception of if we were to compare, say, an 8 with uh, with a type 2 in their approach to people, type 2s tend to be more optimistic and bubbly and, and positive 
in their approach towards people, whereas an eight would be more of a it'd be a darker approach, a less of a you know sort I call of it cautious. Yeah. Up, but, so I love the words you're putting to it. So cautious, ambivalent. What did you call it? Ambivalent, ambivalent curiosity. Curiosity. Because I wouldn't say I'm curious. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm curious. No, no. And I think because so I, cautious. That's a good word. We're not looking for a relationship, yeah. and I think that's more the stance. Is I'm not looking to approach you. Was well, that a subtype thing though? Because I'm, oh. I'm a, I'm a social aid, yeah. so I'm super oh, looking maybe for this, relationship. I'm one Absolutely, one. The, the extrovert. Yeah, yeah, you're more extrovert. It. It's okay. a, it's a definitely a subtype. I'm an introverted, sure. and I'm one and one subtype too. So maybe that's what it is, because I'm not looking, yeah. I'm not looking for it. So when you approach me, yeah. it's not even distrust. It's it's not even curiosity. There's just okay. Yeah. If you don't come with me with the truthfulness or the vulnerability or the realness. There is just no—I just don't engage. I think your nine-wing plays a huge role, too, because eights with nine wings tend to be a little bit more introverted, tend to be uh, more pulled back. I pull back Um, and observe. And eights with seven wings are are really sort of outgoing, very people-oriented. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you guys so, so much because your time is hugely uh, valuable and— what you've given to us is a gift, um, the gift of your thoughts, the gift of your time, the gift of your presence. So thank you so much and uh, really enlightening to listen to you guys answer these questions. I only came here because I thought it would be a challenge. <laughs> no, Thanks a lot. This is great. I, I, I really love talking to other eights. Same here. It's really, really it's good. good. To, to know that there are others of you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I, I wanted to also say, because there's so much stuff out there in the Enneagram world and uh, the popular Enneagram world where eights are viewed a certain way. And what I want to say with as much love and energy and strength that I can is that we love you eights and we need you. We need your strength. We don't need you pulling back. We don't need you being anything different than you are. I dislike anything in the Enneagram that says this type should be less the way they are. And to my mind, I think it's the opposite. You are a fractal or a uh, a facet of the beauty that is here on planet Earth and the gifting and the power that is present on Earth to fix Earth. <laughs> and we need all of the types functioning at their best without the sabotaging effects of the low side. So this is the high side and the low side of, of all the types. And so a little bit of that was brought into our conversation today, but... Um, that is what I hope for all eights and for every type is that they can live fully into the strength, into the power, into the gifting of their type uh, without the sabotaging effects of the low side. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Type 8 panel. And uh, what a great panel this was. Four people who were willing to come in and open up as they did. And you probably picked up on some of the energy and the intensity of the eight, even as they talked about it. And so I want to talk about coaching tips, particularly for the eight. And then we'll look at being in a relationship with an eight and what you could do to help uh, make that relationship better. Eights, because of the need for strength, because of the need to be stronger, stronger than other people, to have this control over their world, over their lives. The perception that the world is out to get them, that only the strong survive, the need to hit before being hit, the anticipation even of 
danger so that they can attack it first. And um, it's this loss of innocence, really, is what, what happened, is that the inability to look at the world as, a, as an innocent place, as a place where people are not always trying to get one over on you. That's the growth, to be able to move towards that, to, to begin to see again that there is actually good, that there is innocence, that you do not need to have all this force and intensity. Um, and again, this is moving from compulsion and drive to uh, more of a discernment of when your strength is needed. Uh, because the goal here is not to tell an eight, eights you need to dial back. That is, I, I really despise a lot of what's been put out there in terms of uh, coaching advice and tips for certain types, yeah. uh, particularly for those who have a bit more energy and strength. It's been sort of a, like dial back. Well, that is not discernment. <laughs> that is like someone telling you, be careful every time you walk out of the house. Be careful. Be careful for what? Like, right. what, what's what's to be afraid of? Or what danger could there be out there? I suppose if you're a type six, that works. But for the rest of us, that doesn't make any sense. In the same way that it doesn't make sense to tell an eight, dial down. Instead, I think what, what we need to be coaching eights with is understand that there's a compulsion, that there's a drive that comes from this belief, this perception that you have to be strong. You have to survive. That You have to be stronger than other people. You have to make sure that people aren't taking advantage of you, that they're not trying to take control from you, that that's actually maybe not always true. And that if you can discern what the compulsion is versus what the actual need for strength is at different times, then it can be appropriately used. There's a gift there in the ability to call up that energy, to call up that indomitable force that lives within the eight, to conquer, to burst through obstacles that other people cannot burst through, you know, and to actually create the space that the world needs. Sometimes when, when there's a constriction in the lives of people and they can't seem to get around that, the eight knows how to break through it mm -hmm. and will do it with force and power and will come in as a protector and a defender. And that's wonderful. What a gift mm -hmm. that the world needs. But to know the difference between those two things. So the work of the eight is to ever move towards innocence and to move towards more of the emotional center uh, as best as they can. And we have a lot of things we could say about that. But uh, for now, let me just pause and hear your thoughts <laughs> on this, Jim. Yes, the leaning into the emotional center. I think the first thing I would want to say to any eights out there is your vulnerable emotions are not weakness. Mm. Getting that, reciting that to yourself as frequently as you need to you actually believe it. Vulnerable emotions are not weakness. Hmm. And for type eights, we do action first, thought second, and emotion third. Hmm. And it's a distant third. <laughs> so I think there is a lot of growth that happens when we lean into that space. But I would say it doesn't happen very naturally. And I've heard people say about AIDS, like, do they not realize how they're coming across with their intensity? And I can honestly say for years, I didn't. You didn't, I didn't know at all. Yeah. One of the things that I found very helpful for me was actually learning into um, learning things about body language. So you could fall down a, a great YouTube rabbit hole on this. And there's a lot of misinformation out there and you can kind of sort through it, but there's a lot of good stuff. But to actually look at the body language not only helps you um, read others and understand where their emotions might be, since that's such a distant thing, but actually 
understand more about how you're coming across, um, relaxing your body position when you're in certain things. Like I can't tell you how many situations I'm in where I literally have to tell myself like relax your body because my body dials up mm. so quickly mm. and I'm literally going, you're not in danger. <laughs> you're not needing to attack anything. You know, just let your body relax because there's there's this thing where I'll just go to 10. And I've talked to other eights about this. We'll just like go to 10 immediately on intensity. Like I'm going to have to face down this great white swimming under the water. Mm. Like that's where we think we're in that situation right now. And I just kind of go, no, this really isn't a 10. This is really more like a four. Like so I want to actually bring four energy to solving this situation, not 10 energy. Because if I do 10, I'm just going to crush everything around me. Mm. And that's a picture that I've had in my mind um, before is that I know there's been situations where I've left a body count mm. of hurt people because I charged in there with level 10 energy. Mm. I would encourage AIDS to dial in and just as when you're in a situation to tell your body to relax, to actually assess, go into the thought second and assess mentally, here's where the level of threat actually is. Here's what's actually needed for this situation. And to allow any of the emotions to kind of come in and then to kind of to respond. As we've talked before um, about, is it Viktor Frankl's language about between stimulus and response? There's a, There's a pause. pause. Yeah. And in that pause is your freedom to choose. Yeah. That has been such an impactful statement for me hmm. in knowing how to react to a situation where I don't have to just go to 10 to where now I actually intentionally put a gap in there because I don't know if my action is going to end negatively or positively. But when I put the gap in there, I can have a better idea about mm. how to move forward. Yeah, that's really good, Jim. And I really appreciate you speaking to this because, again, it goes to action. Like, what are the steps you can take? And as an eight, that's really broken down to concrete steps, like, you know, what you do when you pay attention to your own body energy. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's actually a gift to the world who doesn't – many people don't understand the, the sort of bioenergy that exists within all of us except for the AIDS. AIDS know it. You know you can call it up when it's necessary and put a lot of force into something. And that's a, that's a wonderful gift. But to be able to discern like um, bringing my 10 again every single time I do yeah. this, it's, uh, it's unnecessary. It's a really helpful tip, I think. Yeah, yeah I think when someone walks up to us – and there's some kind of a threat, there's some kind of a confrontation, there's something that happens where it seems like they're not being fair to another person, that justice thing gets gone. What the body feels like is like jumping into a freezing cold pool and, you know, all of your nerves get hit at once. Like that's what happens to us normally in a conversation oh, sometimes. Wow. Huh. It's like the whole body just has this like visceral – almost external sensation that just arises out of nowhere. Hmm. And we have to learn to kind of like release and let that go hmm. because it's, it's almost that visceral of an wow. experience. Wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> it's That's cr it's crazy. interesting. Yeah. As we've been learning about the Enneagram, this is just something I grew up with thinking, well, this is if, just whatever. This is normal, does. right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's really great. There's so many things that we can't cover in terms of even the coaching tips at the end of a podcast, yeah. um, because this is what I do for coaching. This right. is what you do. <laughs> this is what we do coaching, for right? Coach. And it gets really very deep and and very helpful for folks, but and a lot more specific. It's, it's just, it is yeah. more targeted. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's well said. Yeah. So that's what when we say things like eights need to access more of the emotional center. That may mean almost nothing to you, and I would understand that because that's a lot of work, and that's a lot of explanation, and it's a lot of experience for you to understand what that means. But it is accessing more of the feelings and emotions for the eight so that you move more from that intelligence as well and not just the intelligence of the body, which is I know what to do, but also knowing – you know, what am I feeling at this moment and what is the world around me feeling? Because um, you may be well. aware that you're feeling anger. Mm. That's what your real emotions are hiding behind. Mm. So right. anger is not really sometimes the emotion you're having. That's not the emotion that is deeper down. But anger is what those other emotions are hiding behind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sadness is not a f- uh, an emotion that feels really strong to you. Right. Yeah. And so that's great. Those are those are wonderful tips. Let's talk about how do you relate to an eight? This is Oh man, being in relationship <laughs> with an eight. You know, I have to fly in the face of so much that is out there on this topic because I completely disagree with it. So Okay, so do I. So I'm yes, really anxious okay. to hear what you have to say about this. So there's so much out there in relating to an eight that says you basically you need to meet them where they are in their energy. Right. Like you need to basically match their energy. I think that's terrible advice for a couple of reasons. One of them being you'll get exhausted and then you'll never keep up. Mm. You're you're playing on turf that you can't it's, play Exactly. On. It's not your game. It's not your game and you're never going to win at it and you're never going to keep up. As a very brief short-term thing with a relatively immature eight, I get it in small, small doses. It is not sustainable – to function in a relationship long-term where you're constantly having to meet the other person's energy. As eights, we tend to be a little more black and white. We tend to see our perspective as reality. I always joke that I state all of my opinions as if they're facts. (laughs) Um, There is this, there's this assuredness that, you know, we live in. So to meet me in that ground is not fair and you can't really live there. You can't day after day be in a relationship where you have to do that with someone who has that level of intensity functioning all the time. Mm. It doesn't work. So why do they say that eights want that? Because we do want it. And I think that's the whole problem is that we – because of this black and white thinking, because this assurance, we want to make the world into our image – There's a desire to make everyone have to live on our terms. Mm. I had friends tell me this early on, even in my teen years. Like, everyone, we have to meet you where you are. It's always on your terms. It's always on your grounds. And I had no idea what they meant Hmm. at the time. But there is something about wanting people to meet me in my intensity, in in my – sort of zealous approach to whatever it is that I'm doing. But the problem is like, I think that's exhausting for a lot of people. And I don't think it's helpful. And I Mm. don't think you're actually helping the eight move forward. You're actually enabling the type. You're enabling the low side. When people say their advice is to meet an eight in their energy, you're actually enabling the thing that, that is most unhealthy about us. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, okay. That's really 
I love it. It's it's great. Awesome, Jim. <laughs> so here's what I was thinking okay. and what I've been coaching my clients with who are, you know, married or work with an eight, um, eight boss or an eight employee. Eight kid. Eight kid as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've said, you know, I, I don't think you can. And if you match them, you risk the danger of misunderstanding what match could mean in a good sense. Because if you're trying to match their energy or their intensity— You might think that it's about shouting back at them, or you might think that it's about saying something that is crude or rude or or insulting, and without realizing you're insulting them, which just throws more uh, gas on the fire, right? You might call them out as a liar or something if you feel like they lied to you. You know, it's just like, no, you lied. No, you did. It, there's, it, it just to me doesn't seem like that's a really workable way of, of moving forward in relationship to an ape. And eights tend to find a lot of lying as unjust. And so we really, that's one of the biggest insults to an eight because they tend to lean into truth if you oh, say that they lied in a situation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I use that a, a illustration because I can think of a client that mentioned something like that to me. And mm-hmm. I thought, oof, well, you could say that you lied, but that that may not go well for you. I just had an intuition about <laughs> okay. that. So to hear what you're saying, that that's a, a, a real value for AIDS. I, I appreciate that's helpful. Yeah. Honesty and justice are very Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Wow. So... So yeah, I, I for me, I felt like no, that's not really it. It's about playing your game and playing your game, whatever your type is, uh, and doing so in a way that is firm, that is strong, that is that you um, know what it is that uh, that you want to do or think or believe, and to stay firm in that space, but to also be truthful, to be as truthful as you can with the eight, and as honest as you can with the eight, and as vulnerable as you can with the eight. And that in my interactions uh, with eights, when I am truthful, when I am vulnerable, when I am honest, mm-hmm. when I am open, I'm always well received by the eight. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what you would have to say about that. Well, that's exactly right. Because when you do that, our BS detector, you mm. say the eights have the best BS detector, we're just going, okay, that's real. Okay. And now this person is they've shifted into something I'm against to something I'm going to defend. And that little shift is super helpful. But I would say even more than that, create space where it's safe for us to be vulnerable. Oh, good. Okay. Say more about that. Hugely I want to hear about this. Yeah. Um, I tell a whole story in an episode between Abby and I and in our relationship and, in, and a couple of times where she's done that for me, where that was the biggest shift. But I think here for now, we'll just say that like when I'm at a 10, if you try and meet me at a 10, I'm going to go to 11. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But if you're able to communicate in a way that like, hey, it's safe for you to pull back. It's safe for you to feel what you're really feeling. It's safe for you to not hide behind anger, but to actually experience the sadness that you're feeling in this moment. If you provide safety with the failure when someone always is seeing themselves as I am what I do, but it's safe to fail with me. Mm. Um, Most of my life, I felt like it's not safe to fail anywhere. Mm. It's not so much like with the three thing. It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to fail, but it's more kind of like, I'm, it's not safe to. Mm -hmm. And I think anytime that you can communicate in a way that like your vulnerability is welcome here, 
and don't be like, you should be feeling sad here. You should be feeling shame here. Cause like, no, that's never going to work. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times people like have confronted me on something. I apologize, but there's no like shame around it. The three panel that just came out, a woman who's married to an eight was just talking about how for her eight husband, like, yeah, I just say I did something wrong and I move on. Like, I don't like have this residual shame. So like, that's not going to work if you like, you should feel bad. But if it's safe to say, I'm upset here, this hurt me, this really bothered me because there is that really soft core at the center of the eight. Mm. And the thing is the mature eight knows that they are standing in just as much strength when that is on the external. Mm. How do you create that? Because this is really good stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think this is insightful stuff for a lot of people that most most of us have never heard. Mm. How do you do that? How do you create a safe environment for the eight? I think so much for the eight, there is a reaction to our intensity, our energy, where people kind of resist us. We feel resisted. We feel like not all of us is welcome. Only part of us is welcome. Um, and, and the resistance happens from fleeing? Uh, I think people, people moving away from you or people fighting against I think just that shutting intensity. you down or just kind of like wanting to push you to the side, like marginalize. Yo, like, okay, gotcha. Like, uh, yeah. You're over here. Uh, we're going to go over here now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Unless there's something wrong and then we're going to And then come, it's like, yeah, we need you. Yeah. We need you. We're going to recruit you. But then the rest of the time, we're going to kind of marginalize you and keep you over to the side. Yeah. I think the people who have had the biggest impact on me are people who were mature enough in their own strength. They, they, regardless of their type, they were just comfortable enough in their own skin that they just welcomed me as I was. Um, I have spent a lot of energy in my life seeking out people who didn't do the thing that so many other people did. Mm. And I think it's really worth doing that, to seek out mentor figures, to seek out partners, relationships in life where you're just sort of accepted. They are people who are just like, I see what you're doing there. I see your energy and I'm fine with it. They have this capacity to, in I think there's a Catholic phrase or something like to make space for the bigness of others. Hmm. And they're able to just go like, this is where you are. This is kind of who you are and it's okay because they, they make sort of room for the strength and the vulnerability. And it's like, if you make room for my strength, you're more likely to gain my trust to get my vulnerability. Hmm. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So the acceptance of your strength opens you up to the next stage, which is moving towards vulnerability. Right. Because if you resist my strength, if you resist me and don't trust me in that space, then you're definitely never going to see my vulnerability. That is so, this is so helpful because this is so counterintuitive. And yet I think about how how that's so true for every one of us, that if you accept us and you accept even our, whatever our thing is, you know, if it's a, if it's the four, it's the, you know, the emotional center and it's, Mm. you know, you don't accept my emotions. You don't, you know, I, I don't, I can't trust you with anything, you know? Um, Yeah. So that's really acceptance of your strength allows you to then feel like I can open up. I can be more 
Yeah. I feel safer now yeah. with you. Yeah. And Abby and I talk about this, but, you know, I'm an eight married to a nine and she knows she's never going to be able to keep up with me in energy. Like, I don't need you to meet me in my intensity, but I need you to accept it. Mm. And I think because she's been able to accept it, because she's been able to send me a message when I'm really wound up or just said something to me like, yeah, this was really hard and... I didn't handle that very well either. And I know like that moment was really hard for you and you were doing your best in that moment. Wow. Like, like yeah. just all of the armor falls off. Wow. Um, and I definitely can't speak for every eight. So some of your eights out there, like hopefully a lot of you relate to this. Some of you may not, but like there is these moments you've probably had where someone said something that allowed the armor to fall off. Mm. And I think it's super helpful to try and learn ways of communicate and try and think of those stories so you can even communicate with the people around you. Because I think a lot of times people around us are on a subconscious level thinking, how much armor do I need to wear around you today? Hmm. And it's sacred space when you can create space between you and another person that there is that acceptance which leads to the vulnerability, which leads to the growth. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's so well said. I love that the acceptance rather than meeting, trying to meet me in my strength, accept my strength instead of meet me in my yeah. strength. Yeah. I see that. It's awesome. Like that's, it's just, you just, yeah. you can just be like, I noticed that. I see that. You know, and, and I think too of the other eight uh, clients who have told me that one of the most painful things for them is, and I'm going to use my words because I yeah. can't remember their words, but it's sort of the avoidance that other types, other types will avoid eights or will shy away or, or not respond to an eight. And that feels more painful to them than just confront me. And, you know, I would rather you say anything to me than to completely shut down, avoid me. It feels uh, like rejection. Not talk to me. That's what it is. It's rejection. That's what it, the experience of it is. And for... You know, people to actually lean towards you in your strength, in your intensity, mm. but to lean towards you with acceptance, with yeah. openness, with o being okay with that is is really the issue. So it's not like I'm okay, but I'm like pulling away from you. Right. But it's like, no, I'm, to I'm moving towards you with that space. I mean, one thing I would recommend, um, Sleeping at Last did a series of podcasts on the Enneagram where he writes a song for each of them. And the one with the eight had on it the author of the sacred Enneagram. Chris Huritz. Chris Huritz. And it was phenomenal. Like I would highly recommend any eight or someone in relationship with eight, I'd recommend any of you to listen to that episode because it's mm. absolutely phenomenal. And Chris is able to articulate who he is as an eight, um, but who has really done some great work. So – I mean, any eight who really wants to develop, and I think learning in, from the Enneagram. And I think it's really great when you can connect to an Enneagram teacher who has a similar bent um, to you. I would really recommend uh, the Sacred Enneagram book as well as um, that podcast on that because it, it was really even helpful to me because of how Ryan from Sleeping at Last wrote this song. And it's a great example of how someone else experiences and relates to eights in a healthy way. I think he puts that on display 
in an incredible way that mm. that is is unmatched mm. in, in wow. anything I've heard on the subject. It's wow. really, really good. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of you for listening to us. Um, we really appreciate you, love you. We hope that you uh, contact us. Let us know a little bit about yourself, um, your your story, if you feel to do so, and then maybe some questions. We'd love to answer questions, and so send them on out to us, and um, you know that'll guide us as to what what we can do to serve our community better. Yeah, so you can do that on our website. Connect to us there. That's theartofgrowth.org. And you can get to us for coaching. Like we said, we um, are trying to give coaching tips, but these are very general. And the, if you meet with us as a coach, that's it can be a lot more specific. So you can contact us there. We'll guide you towards um, the right step uh, that's for you. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram, which is just Art of Growth. But yeah, please send us in some questions. We'll do an episode at some point where we just answer some questions at the back end of this season, um, which will be spaced out with a couple other episodes that we we feel are going to be really good to throw in there that's really consistent with the art of growth. If you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, please do so. It helps people find the show and helps people connect. So as we have said, we really appreciate you and your interest in our work and with the Enneagram, but more importantly, uh, your willingness to work on yourself so that you have better relationships because we want to know how to make the world a better place, have better relationships. That's been the theme of this, and we're going to have more on that to come. Mm. So thank you so much for joining us and have a great week.